How about that worship team, huh? Nice job, brother. Well, good morning. How is everybody today? I have to tell you, I am really excited to be here today. It is such an honor and a privilege to speak God's Word. And if first service wasn't enough, I get to do it again now. That's awesome. And today I'm going to be talking to you about the joy of your faith. Hey, Noah, can you make sure that comes up for me? Thanks, man. How many of you need some joy in your life? Right? Yes, we all need joy. You know, there's a lot of debate about the difference between joy and happiness. Some say that happiness is worldly and that it's really based on your circumstances. While joy is heavenly, and that heavenly joy, right, is that you have it despite your circumstances. Others say there's no difference at all, and that they're simply synonyms to each other, and they're used interchangeably. I've read some pretty convincing commentaries that support both sides of these arguments. Now, my purpose today is not to try and win that argument. I simply found that the whole exercise of exploring this argument very interesting and that it reinforced to me how important it is for us to be truth seekers and not information consumers. So if you've got your hand out inside your bulletin, your first blank there is truth seekers. Something else I want to tell you that you might not be aware of is that on our website, under the title Watch, there is a subtitle there called Latest Message Notes. So if you're like me and you don't like paper and you like to do that electronically, you could follow along on your mobile device from our website, from that page, Latest Message Notes, and you can type in your notes on the fly, and when you're finished, you can email them to yourself. It's pretty cool. So if that's you and you're a techie kind of person and want to do that, you can. I just wanted you to know that not only do you have it on paper, you also got it available to you on your mobile device. But the point is, we all must read and study the Bible ourselves. We can't rely on what other people say. Not a pastor up here speaking, not your best friend, not some theologian. You need to be in the Word yourself. We've got to take responsibility for our faith and read and study the Word ourselves. Acts chapter 17, verse 11 says it this way. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. We all need to be like Bereans. We need to be eager, ready, and willing to hear the word of the Lord. And then dig into his word ourselves day after day. Be a truth seeker. That's how you grow in your faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you speak to us today. I pray, Lord God, that you'd use your word to enlighten our hearts and our minds and that you'd open our minds so that we can hear from you. Show us today how important it is to be truth seekers. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, the more I studied and dug into the joy and happiness debate, I discovered that the Bible doesn't really make any kind of distinction between these two. The Bible actually often uses these words together or as synonyms or uses them interchangeably. Now, I don't have time to go very deep into this today, but I am going to give you a few examples. The first one here comes from Esther, 
chapter 8, verse 16. This is from the New International Version translation. It says, For the Jews it was a time of happiness and joy and gladness and honor. You see, happiness, joy, and gladness are all used side by side. Then if I look at the next example, this comes from Jeremiah 31.13. This is in the Holman Christian Standard Bible translation. I will turn their mourning into joy and bring happiness out of grief. I could have said I will turn their mourning into happiness and bring joy out of grief. Wouldn't have changed the meaning at all because those words are used interchangeably. Just like mourning and grief are used interchangeably, so is joy and happiness here. And then in Proverbs 23:25 it says, So give your father and mother joy. May she who gave you birth be happy. I'm in the New Living Translation now. And again, I can use joy and happy interchangeably here. And the last example comes from Isaiah 52:7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. This is from the New American Standard Bible translation. And the prophet Isaiah here is talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. And he refers to it here as the good news of happiness. It could have said the good news of joy. It wouldn't have mattered. There are all kinds of examples like this in the Bible. I just gave you four of them. And they were from four different translations. These weren't paraphrases. And the difference between a paraphrase and a translation is this. An actual Bible translation has a team of Hebrew, Greek, and English scholars that translate the Bible from the original manuscripts into a native translation. And in all these translations that I showed you, they use joy and happiness together, or they use them interchangeably. So the point is not to try and split hairs, trying to manufacture some kind of difference between joy and happiness. The point is this. If you want to have real, lasting joy or happiness... It can only come from God himself. If you try to find it anywhere else, it's not going to last. It will not satisfy you. The world's happiness is shallow, selfish, and fleeting. But God's happiness is rich, full, and eternal. When you have the joy of the Lord, nothing can rob you of this joy. Because it, got, it comes from God himself. The joy of your faith is Jesus himself. He's your joy. And when you give your life to him, the word says that you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. His Holy Spirit is now living on the inside of you. That is the joy of your faith. Now, some of you may know Colin and Kelsey. They were just married in March, young couple. They've been coming to Cross Point for a while, and now they're moving to Washington. But Kelsey's younger brother, Zach, showed up at the Walking by Faith Life Group. You don't know what that is. Bill and Teresa host that every Thursday all through the summer. And a couple Thursdays ago, Zach was there, and he was asking all kinds of incredible questions. From topics from the Bible to Jesus to faith to baptism, you name it, he was asking it. And then Janet asked him, uh, have you ever accepted the Lord into your heart? And he hadn't. So we all laid hands on him and prayed, and guess what? He accepted Jesus into his heart. Yeah. 
And if that wasn't enough, then we walked right on down to the Nine Mile Creek and baptized him right there. Yes. It was an absolutely awesome experience. And that is the joy of your faith. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15 that there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. All of heaven, all of God's angels, millions of them, rejoice when someone gets saved. Now, why do they rejoice? Billy Graham answers it this way. He says, not because they're surprised, but because a great victory has been won. Someone has been snatched from the jaws of Satan and death and hell. So why wouldn't all of heaven rejoice? That's the joy of your faith. We were created in his image. And when we give our lives to him, we are called to be like him. In other words, we are called to live and be like Jesus. That is the joy of your faith. Your feelings or your circumstances don't dictate the joy of your faith. Because Jesus is our hope, and that hope is an anchor for our souls. When the storms of life come, and believe me, they will come, the joy of your faith is your rock. It's your fortress. It's your refuge. It's your place of safety. It's your rallying point. It's your compass. It's your shelter. It's your shield. It's the power that saves you. That is the joy of your faith. The world can't take it from you, no matter what happens. Pastor Bruce spoke last week about how to have joy no matter what. He said there were two principles that we needed to have. Number one was a perspective to live from, and number two was a priority to live by. So that perspective, it comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, we know all, that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. You see, when you can have that kind of perspective, that's what matters. Because you realize God is at work, and he's using everything for the good, right? And then the second thing here was to have a priority to live by. That priority is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. It's our mission to make him known. That's why we have hanging right outside the church. It says, you're now entering your mission field. You and I, all of us, have a responsibility to make him known. Now, something else he talked about last week is, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, then you are chosen. He has chosen you. Did you know that every one of us have an invitation? And once we say yes to that invitation, we are now chosen. You're part of the chosen army. Yeah. And when you are chosen, you can have joy no matter what. So if you missed last week's message, you can go online and listen to it or watch it. And I encourage you to do that. But I cannot stand here and tell you that if you give your life to Jesus, that everything will go well for you. Somewhere along the way, many are deceived into thinking that when they become a Christian, everything will be great. And you'll be happy all the time. And you'll get everything you ever want. Right? And that you shouldn't have to go through any kind of difficult circumstances or any kind of suffering. That's all lollipops and rainbows, isn't it? (laughs) It sounds good though, right? But that's exactly how many of us act and think. Last year I met a woman on a plane named Carolyn. 
Now, for my job, I'm usually traveling once or twice a month. I fortunately haven't had to do that under the current circumstances. But last year, I was flying, and I met this woman. Her name was Carolyn, and she shared her story of how her entire life was turned upside down. A business partner of her husband showed up at the door one night, knocked on the door, and when her husband opened the door, he shot him. Then he took a few steps, shot himself. Carolyn tried to revive her husband, but he died in her arms. In an instant, Carolyn's life and that of her four children was changed forever. I was absolutely shocked as she shared her story with me. But what amazed me even more was how she'd handled it all. She was honest about her pain, her feeling alone, the fear over her oldest daughter taking her life. This had a big impact on her oldest daughter. She's a teenager at the time, and she was home when her father was killed. But it was the joy on her face and in her emotions that really struck a chord within me. She had been through an incredible and horrifying experience, and yet she ministered to me on that plane in a way like I had never heard before. Her story was raw, and it was real, and she didn't hide her feelings about it. God was with her and had walked with her all the way through the experience, and her faith was as strong as ever. Now, I'm not trying to minimize her pain. I'm just saying that her relationship with Jesus was so evident that I could feel the joy coming from her. That's the joy of your faith. When you go through difficult circumstances and you can have joy despite your pain because of your relationship with Jesus, that's the joy of your faith. When you can have joy despite your financial situation, let's face it, there have been a lot of people impacted by what's going on in the world right now financially. Some have lost their jobs. Some have been furloughed. Some have taken salary reductions. Some people have lost investments. When you can have joy despite your health, when you can have joy despite your waiting, many of us have been waiting on things. We've been praying and asking for God to move, and yet we're still waiting. When you can have joy despite your worry, when you can have joy despite your fear, When you can have joy despite all the silliness going on with this COVID-19 thing. We've watched everybody just overreact over this thing. You can have joy despite what the news is telling you. You turn the news on and guess what? Negative, 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 isn't it? Right? You can have joy despite that. You can have joy despite the chaos in America right now. With all this stuff with race and segregation and protests and all this trying to rip this country apart. When you can have joy in spite of anything, that is the joy of your faith. Now, some of you may know the story of Botham Jean. His friends called him Bo. In 2018, he was in his apartment one day, sitting on his couch, watching TV, eating ice cream. And then Dallas police officer Amy Geiger, who had just finished a a 13-and-a-half-hour shift, walked into his apartment because she mistakenly thought it was hers. And she shot Botham and killed him because she thought he was an intruder. I want you to see how Botham's 18-year-old brother reacted in the courtroom when he was on the witness stand. Now, he's speaking directly to Amy Geiger, the person who just shot and killed his brother. Watch this. I 
I can speak for myself. I I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. That's amazing. That's the joy of your faith. And while that may be amazing, as Christ followers, that shouldn't be shocking. That's how we're supposed to act. We are supposed to forgive and we are supposed to love. We are commanded to love our neighbors. Whether black, white, Asian, Indian, race, it doesn't matter. We love because God loved us first. Romans 5.8 says it in this way. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our problem in America is bigger than race. What we have is a sin problem. At its core, it's a sin issue. And the only remedy to our sin issue is the Savior, Jesus Christ. No government, no rule of law, no protest, nothing can substitute for the love and freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. But listen to me, there is a cost to following Jesus. Now let me be clear, salvation is a gift from God. It's by his grace that we are saved. Not by our works as if we could brag about what we've done, or how good we are, or how good the things that we do are. No, it's by His grace alone, through our faith alone, in the finished work that Jesus did on the cross alone, that we are saved. He died so that we may live. But there is a cost to following Jesus. Don't be deceived into thinking that there shouldn't be a cost. Salvation is a free gift. 
in that you and I can't do anything to earn it. That is the joy of your faith. But it's not free in a sense that it won't cost you anything. No, following Jesus will cost you everything. It will cost you your very life. God doesn't want just part of you. He doesn't want to see you with one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. No, he demands it all. You don't ask Jesus to come into your life alongside all the other stuff that you give your time, talent, worship, and energy to. No, everything becomes secondary because he's now primary. Following Jesus will cost you everything. Don't take my word for it. Be a Berean and seek it out for yourself. Jesus makes this very clear in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Jesus says this, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Notice Jesus didn't say, only if things go well for you, follow me. Or you only have to carry your cross on Sundays. He didn't say any of that. He said, if you want to be my follower... You must. That's a command. And he said that you have to take up your cross every day. That means you have to die to yourself and follow him every day. That means you have to submit to your heart's desires, your present circumstances, everything to him every day. So do you think of your relationship with Jesus as to what you can get out of it? Or do you think about your relationship with Jesus in terms of what you can do for him. I love how the commentary in the Life Application Study Bible puts this. It says this, Are you willing to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow him? Because anything less is superficial lip service. That's the cost to following Jesus. Then in verse 24, Jesus gives us a warning. He says, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. In other words, if all you do is focus on serving or pleasing yourself and trying to stay as comfortable and safe as possible, you will lose your life. But look what's on the other side of that warning. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Following Jesus will cost you everything, but the reward for following him is eternal life. That is the joy of your faith. And that's a joy worth having. The Apostle Paul knew what that meant. And we've been studying through the book of Philippians. This is week four in that study. And Paul wrote that epistle, Philippians. Epistle is another word for letter. He wrote that from a Roman prison. And he did that to encourage Christians at Philippi. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you've got them with you, to our main text today. This comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. If you don't have your Bibles with you, that's okay. We'll have it up here on the screen. Chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. 
I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which will be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Paul was focused on helping the Philippians experience the joy of your faith. I just talked to you about what is the joy of your faith. Now I'm going to get really practical and we're going to talk about how you can experience the joy of your faith. We're going to dive into this text and we're going to extract three things that you can do to experience the joy of your faith. Number one, rest in assurance. Rest in assurance. Let's look back at the first two verses of our text, verses 19 and 20. It says, For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed. You see, Paul is absolutely 100% confident here. Look at the words he's using. I know. This will, for I fully expect and hope that I will never. That's confidence right there. That's assurance. He knows the power of prayer and the help of the Holy Spirit will lead to his deliverance and that he will never be ashamed. If you have made the decision to follow Jesus and make him the Lord of your life, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, There is therefore now... No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When you are in Christ, and when you walk according to the Spirit, there is no condemnation. In other words, there is no reason to be ashamed. When you rest in assurance, you understand that the basis of the assurance comes from the authority and absolute trustworthiness of the Bible. You can see this again in Romans chapter 10. This is Paul again. Verses 9 through 11. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. And the scriptures tell us anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. New King James Version actually replaces the word disgraced with ashamed. So if you trust in Jesus, you will never be ashamed. That's what Paul is talking about in our text when he says, I will never be ashamed. And that's a promise right there. And that's definitely worth being joyful about, no matter what's going on in your life. God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son into this world that whoever, and that includes you, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's real love. That's a love that you can depend on. You can rest in assurance. Nothing can ever separate you from his love. Did you know that? Nothing. You can see this from Romans chapter 8 at the very end, verses 38 and 39. Again, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, 
Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that awesome? Is anyone excited about that? Nothing can ever separate you from God's love. Nothing. I could jump off this stage. That's how good this text is. If you've never highlighted this or underlined it in your Bible, you need to do that right now. You need to memorize this because nothing can ever separate you from God's love. That's assurance right there. You can rest in assurance. Why? Because Jesus said as he hung on the cross, dying for you and me in our place, he said, it is finished. His sacrifice is what set us free. We can rest in assurance on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing that we can do to experience the joy of our faith is to walk in boldness. Walk in boldness. Let's start here by defining what is Christian boldness. John Bloom, in an article entitled, Lord, Make Me More Bold, he defines it this way. He says, acting by the power of the Holy Spirit on an urgent conviction in the face of some threat. Now, I really like this definition because boldness isn't acting on your own. It's not acting on your own power. It's acting by the power of the Holy Spirit. Boldness isn't something that you can just manufacture on your own. Well, today I think I'm going to be bold. It just doesn't happen that way. No, you need the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. It's tough because many of us, when we face adversity, we don't feel very bold, do we? We often just feel the opposite. The Apostle Paul was very bold, but his boldness was from the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now, if we look back at our text in Philippians chapter 1, we'll see this in verse 20. It says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. Paul faced tremendous adversity, and yet he walked in boldness everywhere he went. He knew his purpose was to speak boldly for Jesus and to become more like him. We all have that same purpose. Acts chapter 4 is a tremendous example of walking in boldness. If you've never read that, I encourage you to pull that out tonight. Look at Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, they were arrested. They were put in jail because they were teaching that in Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. And many people heard this message and they believed. And this created quite a controversy. So the council of rulers, elders, and teachers of religious law, they're in Jerusalem, they brought out Peter and John, they brought them out of jail, and they said, by what power or whose name have you done this? And then verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said. Okay? That's the key in walking in boldness. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's where the power comes from. So Peter tells the council how he healed a crippled man. He says, By the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And then he says this in verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And then in verse 13, it says the members of the council, they were amazed. 
when they saw the boldness of Peter and John because they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They were ordinary men, the Word says. That means they were just like you and me. Ordinary men. So if they can walk in boldness, you and I can walk in boldness. If you have Jesus, then you have the power to walk in boldness. You want to experience the joy of your faith? Then walk in boldness. Well, that's just great, Ian. You might be saying, I don't feel very bold. You know what my answer to that is? Then pray to your Father in heaven, Lord, make me bold. Pray and ask him. That's exactly what Peter, the disciples, and all the believers did in Acts chapter 4. You can see this at the end of Acts chapter 4 in verses 28 and 31. It says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. See what happened there? They prayed for boldness, and God answered. You have the same power available to you as a child of God. Lord, make us bold. You want to experience the joy of your faith? Rest in assurance. Walk in boldness. And number three, honor him with your life. Honor him with your life. If we look back at our text here, verses 20 and 24, it says, And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Paul makes it very clear here that living on this earth is all about living for Jesus. He's not concerned about dying physically because he knows that when he does die, he will be with Jesus forever. And this creates quite a dilemma for him because he knows that being with Christ is far better than living on this earth. But if he continues to live, then he has a greater opportunity to help those Philippian people experience the joy of their faith. You see, when you have the joy of your faith, you can have that kind of perspective. You realize that life is precious and that every breath you take is a gift from God. So your only reasonable response to that is to honor God with your life. Just like Paul said in verse 20, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. This means we give him the respect, the reverence, the praise, and the obedience which are all due to him. It means we are to worship him alone and give love and love him and value him above everything and everyone. Paul says in verse 22 that if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. Do we have that kind of perspective? Are we consistently looking for opportunities to be fruitful for God? As Christians, we are called to bear fruit. There are all kinds of things that may come to mind about what you could do to bear fruit for Jesus. You could volunteer for serving in children's ministry. You could serve in any one of our ministry areas here at the church. You could help someone in need. 
You could pray with others. You could pray for others. There are tons of ways to be fruitful for Jesus. Because when you're producing fruit for Christ, you are honoring Christ. But it's so easy to get caught up in doing this and doing that. We don't want to be like the Pharisees and get consumed with a legalistic list of all the things that you could or should have done. So let me keep this really, really simple. Let's look at the words of Jesus. This comes from John 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So to honor God with your life means to remain, or other translations use the word abide, in Jesus. In other words, it means that you make your home in Jesus just like he makes his home in you. We receive him and then we trust in him with everything that we are. It means that we walk as he walked. We love as he loves. We forgive as he forgives. It means his word fills our hearts, directs our steps, and transforms and renews our mind. Honor him with your life and you will experience the joy of your faith. Real lasting joy can only come from God himself. The world offers all kinds of counterfeits. We must be truth seekers. Jesus is the joy of your faith. So to experience that joy in your faith, this is what you do. We rest in assurance. We walk in boldness, even in the face of tremendous adversity. And we make it our mission to honor him with our lives. Let's pray. Father, you are a mighty God, and we need you. Lord, I pray that this message would be a catalyst for people to give their lives to you and to follow up what your word teaches. Lord, there is a cost to following you, and it takes everything that we are. I pray that if this message touched someone's heart today, and you don't know Jesus, and you want that joy today, and you want to say, yes, I want to become his chosen. That's you. And you're sitting in your seat and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart because the word says that no man can come to him unless the spirit draws him. So if the Holy Spirit is tugging on you today and wants you to know him and you want to make that proclamation today, slip up your hand and I will pray for you. Anyone here want to know Jesus? They want to follow him and make that profession today. Anyone? Others of you may be sitting there thinking about Man, I am missing joy in my life. I need to have that joy. I need to have the joy of our faith. And you recognize that you've had all kinds of things rob and steal that joy from you. And today you want to rededicate yourself to the Lord because it's time. This is a dangerous time that we're living in right now. And to put your hope anywhere else other than Jesus himself is dangerous. So if that's you and you want to uh, rededicate yourself today, slip up your hand. I'll pray for you. Okay, anyone else? Awesome. A few hands, great. Father, I just ask, Lord Jesus, that you would encourage and strengthen those that have lifted their hands.
that they recognize that there is no hope and no strength other than in you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just fill their hearts, Lord Jesus, and help them to be beacons of hope out there in society today. Lord, help us all to have the courage and the strength to rest in your assurance, to walk in boldness, and to honor you with our lives. And we will thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.